Lord God. We thank you that we can sing your praises. We thank you indeed that you are our great God. Thank you that you are with us, that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. We pray now as we come to your word that we might hear your voice speak to our hearts, that you might change us and shape us and mould us, that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. As your word is preached, may it reach that deep place, may it find good soil in our hearts and produce good fruit for your kingdom. Amen. Please take a seat. And I think, is David going to read our reading for us? I can't see him. No, I'm going I'm to read for us. Why don't we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Page 971 in your church Bibles. Starting at verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Thank you for welcoming me to have the opportunity to come and speak to you this evening. It was probably about nearly eight years ago to the day that I first came to St Jude's and came to this service and spent many years here in the evening service and was very blessed by my time here. And so it's a great pleasure to be able to come and speak to you this evening. Um, I just ask that you'd keep the, uh, the Bibles open in front of you as we uh, read through this so that you can follow as I preach from it. Um, God promises when two or more meet in his name that he will be present with them. So let's just commit this time before him um, that he would lead us in our thoughts and me in the words that I'll share with you. Father, you are the God who saves, who gives hope, the God who answers prayers. Father, as I come to speak your word this evening, Lord, let me be just a mouthpiece for your word. Let it not be me that's speaking, but you speaking through me. 
that the words that come from my lips would be your truth and would be good and would be a blessing to those who hear. Where there have been misunderstandings as I prepare this, Lord, help bring clarity through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that each of us, through your Holy Spirit, would hold on to those things which are good and those things which are true, that they would continue to transform our lives by your word, your truth, and your spirit, and that we would walk ever in the hope set before us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I'll see things trusting in your Son and Saviour, in your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it was a long time ago now that Jeff actually invited me to come and speak this evening. It was a sunny day in August. Uh, and even then, um, I felt quite challenged by the passage he gave me. It's a well-known one that most of us have heard several times. Ask, seek, and knock. I think even more challenging given the events of the last few weeks. As a church family, we've really enjoyed the blessings of having David Fry among our family. And we've been praying very hard for his um, recovery, for his healing. And that he's gone to be with the Lord now is an answer to prayer in its own way, but maybe not the one we were hoping for. And perhaps that and some of what we see in the passage gives us uh, some of the key to understanding what Jesus is leading us to with these words this evening. So... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Those are bold statements. The man who speaks them either has full confidence that he can see those things answered, or he's a madman or a bad man. But we know Jesus to be a good man. So he has utter confidence in these words. I think there's three questions we need to reflect on as we look at this passage. What is the God that we pray for like? Pray these, put our requests to like. What is his character? How should we come to him to put these requests? How should we come to seek him? How should we come to knock on his door? And what should we be asking of him? What should we be seeking of him? I think first and foremost, we have to look at this statement that Jesus makes in the context of the rest of the sermon. A few weeks ago, I'm not sure who would have preached it, but there, was a, there would have been a, a lesson on uh, chapter 6, um, verses 5 to 14, where he talks about prayer there. He says... Um, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So what is Jesus actually asking or telling us to do through these words here this evening? Before I dive into the passage, I just wanted to share with you uh, an extract from a well-known book, Oliver Twist, that I've been reading for the last few months. As I was reflecting on this passage, uh, there was a particular chapter I came across in it. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the film. I don't know how many of you have read the book. Um, 
but I was quite surprised that there's, there are some differences in the book and the, and the film. Um, but you will know the character Nancy if you've seen the film. And she, she is among the band of thieves, uh, the rogues. Um, and when she comes to hear of uh, uh, character called Monks planning and plotting to kidnap Oliver away from the family who have adopted him, who've taken him into their shelter, um, being of better conscience than her, her fellow thieves, she runs under the cover of darkness to the house of Mrs. Maley and Rose Maley, who are looking after Oliver. And there she relays the story to Rose, having gained her um, audience. And having relayed that story, she says the following. So... So it starts with Rose. Stay another moment, interposed Rose as the girl moved hurriedly towards the door. Think once again on your own condition and the opportunity you have of escaping from it. You have a claim on me, not only as a voluntary bearer of this intelligence, but as a woman lost almost beyond redemption. Will you return to this gang of robbers and to this man when a word can save you? What fascination is it that can take you back and make you cling to wickedness and misery? Oh, is there no cord in your heart that I can touch? Is there nothing left to which I can appeal against this terrible infatuation? When ladies as young and good and beautiful as you are, replied the girl steadily, give away your hearts. Love will carry you all lengths, even such as you who have home, friends, other admirers, everything to fill them. When such as I, who have no certain roof but the coffin lid, and no friend in sickness or death but the hospital nurse, set our rotten hearts on any man and let him fill the place that has a blank through all our wretched lives, who can hope to cure us? Pity us, lady. Pity us for having only one feeling of the woman left, and for having that turned by a heavy judgment from a comfort and a pride into a new means of violence and suffering. You will, Rose, said Rose, after a pause. Take some money from me, which may enable you to live without dishonesty, at all events, until we meet again. Not a penny, replied the girl, waving her hands. Do not close your heart against all my efforts to help you, said Rose, stepping gently forward. I wish to serve you indeed. You would serve me best, my lady, replied the girl, wringing her hands, if you could take my life at once. For I have felt more grief to think of what I am tonight than I ever did before, and it would be something not to die in the hell in which I have lived. God bless you, sweet lady, and send as much happiness on your head as I have brought shame on mine. Thus speaking, and sobbing aloud, the unhappy creature turned away, while Rose Maley, overpowered by this extraordinary interview, which had the semblance of a rapid dream than an actual occurrence, sank into a chair and endeavoured to collect her wandering thoughts. I think it can be very easy for us to fall into the trap that Nancy did where we think we're not deserving enough of God's grace and blessing. That by some means that the situations we're in, he cannot overcome. But actually Rose had the, ma- the means to save Nancy from that situation just as God has the means to answer our prayers. He, knowing this, 
boldly commands us, not just asks us or encourages us, but commands us to ask, to seek, to knock. It's an encouragement for us to have faith, to trust in him for what he can do for us. In fact, if you look in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So not only is he able to do what we think is impossible, but we'd seek to ask, but he's able to do immeasurably more than that. Let that encourage us to have confidence to come before him and pray. In fact, if you take the original Greek of this verse, it's in something called the present imperative. Uh, what does that mean? That's, that means that it's a command to us, imperative and command, and it's a continual request, continual command. Go on asking and it will be given to you. Go on seeking and you will find. Go on knocking and the door will be open to you. So God, this God who we ask these requests to is a God who is capable. He has confidence that he can answer the prayers. Not only is he a God that's capable, but he's a God-loving God. We've seen this through Jesus' acts, and he reasserts that with the following words uh, in verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? We've seen Jesus showing his love to those in need, those who would be outcasts otherwise, uh, as he healed lepers, touching them when no one else would have for fear of having disease. We've seen him approaching the, the Sumerian woman at the well, who... That, even that region the Jewish people would have avoided for not knowledge that the uh, Samaritan people lived there. But he reached out and spoke to her. He offered her the hope of life. And he is waiting for us to ask our request to him. But he does say, give good gifts to your children. And those of us, those of you who are parents, know that not everything our children ask for is necessarily good for them. Um, when you're a child, you want chocolates, you want sweets, and you'll ask your parents for them. Uh, but knowing, knowing that that's not necessarily going to be good short term or long term, the parent will withhold uh, significant quantities of sweets equally. God, like our good parents knows what's best for us and knows the good in the long term. But he is willing to answer. He will answer in his own way, but he is willing to answer. He's waiting for you to ask, to put your prayers and petitions before him. As he waits, he does know what you seek. He knows your prayer before you speak it but he longs for you to seek him so that you might know that it's him that provides. After all, nothing that we have is by our own efforts. Though we might strive or we might try, everything that we have and everything that we are are because God has created us. God has formed us and God has provided the things before us, opened the opportunities for us, grown the business, the skills we need. He also can provide for what we need and ask for.
4. While he is waiting, he's also a most holy God. And he does care for our worldly concerns, our health and our well-being. But first and foremost, his longing is for us to be in relationship with him. His longing is to know us. Because these things now, our health, our well-being, our wealth, they're all temporary. But our time with him in heaven is eternity. And he would much rather we spent a short time in difficult situation that we spend eternity in his kingdom, in his mansion, surrounded by his treasures, than have treasures for a short while and be separated from him for eternity. So how do we come before him? Well, he's commanding us with confidence to ask, seek and knock. He wants us to come before him, trusting in him. That trust can easily be snatched away, though. We, we may think he is unable. We've talked about that. We may think he is unwilling. As you come before him, if those thoughts and doubts are coming before you, consider what influences might be leading you to this, this doubt. Have you come before him with unconfessed sin? Well, confess your sin. And trust to him who is faithful and merciful to forgive. That your, your slate will be wiped clean afresh and his son Jesus Christ's blood will be outpoured upon you. That you can come before him clothed in the white clothes of righteousness of Christ. It might be the world or the devil who are leading you astray. Trying to convince you that God is unable or unwilling to do these things for you. Then rebuke them. Rebuke them. <coughs> And be filled with the confidence and peace that comes through Jesus and our Father's Holy Spirit. We should come before him ready to submit ourselves as well. The reason God knows our prayers but waits for us to ask is because he longs for a deeper relationship with him. He longs that we would know our dependence on him. But when we ask of him, when we ask of our friends and family when we are in need, we put ourselves at their mercy. And when they respond in love, when they give what we need for, doesn't our intimacy grow with them? And so will our intimacy with God when we submit our requests before him in humility. And we see it's not just a humility of being ready to ask, but being ready to have God's answer not necessarily the one we would ask for Jesus himself when he's in the garden of Gethsemane he says father if you're willing take this cup from me he prays that prayer knowing that God could take that cup from him knowing he has the power and the authority to do so but then he says yet not my will but yours be done so ultimately he trusts however God answers the prayer God's will is perfect. He knows what's best for us. He can see beyond what we can see. In fact, not only should we come before him humbly, not only should we come before him ready to have our prayers answered in his way, but we should be seeking him first before we do anything. If you look at the examples of Saul and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Saul was one who did first and prayed later. Um, he was anointed, the anointed king of Israel. 
He'd been given all this glory and power and authority. And when things didn't work out as had been uh, pre-planned by Samuel, he gives his offering to the Lord without seeking the Lord's will first. And with that, having gone his own way, that glory, that power was removed from him and he went from greater and greater, from greater shame to greater shame and into deeper and deeper sin. In contrast, Nehemiah, who finds himself in an impossible situation, the first thing he does is pray. How is he ever going to get out of Babylon and re-establish Jerusalem when he's a wine taster of all things? Yet he prays, gets down on his knee and prays and responds. And what does God do? He opens doors that wouldn't be opened. And when he opens doors, they can't be closed. And Jerusalem was re-established. So we should seek the Lord's will first. We should seek his hand over things before we do anything. So we should go in confidence. We should go first. We should go humbly. What should we pray for? In uh, 1 John 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, it's written, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked of him, uh, we have what we have asked of him. So what is God's will? What is God's will? Actually, if you go a bit further back in that same book, we see that it says in chapter 4, verse 16 through to 18, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because he has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So God wants us to do his loving will. In fact, I haven't touched on it yet, but that was deliberate. The last verse in this passage, which Adam read for us. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. But this sums up the law and the prophets. God's will is for us to show his love to those around us. To those in our church family, to those at work, to those in our family, to those in our neighbourhood. Seek to know his will and how he wants you to be working, how he wants to show your light. For as we are obedient to that call to love, to do to others as we would have done to ourselves. We are actually answering the prayers of others. We're showing the love and peace that can only come from God. So God can answer our prayers in ways we might not imagine. I'm not sure if many of you have read um, God's Hiding, The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, that was another book that I finished reading this summer. Um, so the Ten Booms were a family in World War II. They were watchmakers, and they hid Jews during World War II, uh, during the German occupation. Uh, they did successfully for many years, but then were eventually caught. And 
uh, all of her family were imprisoned by the Germans. Um, and after a period of time, all but her and her sister Betsy, so this is Corrie Ten Boom who wrote, and her sister Betsy were left in prison while the rest of them either were set free or went to be with the Lord. Um, and the final place that they went to, uh, the final camp, concentration camp they went to, was Ravensbrück. And when they arrived there, it was cold, it was dark. There were barracks where they were all sleeping. And they came to their barracks, and there were platforms where they were sleeping, lying next to each other, massive platforms. And as they get onto their platforms for the first night, the following passage ensues. So, uh, Corey writing in the first person. Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, head slow to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle and edged our way to a patch of light. Here and here, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly it took me a second to realise she was praying. More and more the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corrie, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning. Where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in First Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Shevenigan. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seems written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on, Betsy, go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. To one another and to all, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corrie. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. So Betsy goes on to say thanks for the fleas much to Corrie's horror. And she's encouraging Corrie to give thanks for all the things that they found themselves in. As the weeks pass, they continue to preach and to teach from the Bible to their group in the barracks. And while all the other barracks are getting inspected thoroughly, the guards never come into their barracks. This puzzles them at first, but after a number of weeks, Betsy finds out why. They never come in because they don't want to get infected by the fleas, get bitten by the fleas. So the very thing that Corrie would have prayed to be gone, the very thing that I would have prayed to be gone, is the thing that allows them to do God's work, to shine his light into a dark, dark world. So when you face a challenge, try to give thanks for what it is that you're in and for God to show you why he would use that situation. Ask God to help him see things how he sees things.
do ask for those things that you're in need of and in want of. He does care for those things as well, but ultimately he cares for your eternal well-being and for those around you, their eternal well-being, that they might know him, know his peace. So, we're asking, seeking and knocking, asking of a God who's loving, powerful, almighty, heavenly focused, seeking a God who's loving, powerful and heaven focused. How should we come before him? We should come before him having given our sins over to him that they might be taken from us, that burden might be released from us. We must continue to pray daily for ultimately all that we have is given by him. We must trust that he can answer and will answer our prayers. It might not be the way that we expect, but he will, and he does it the best way, if not the way we want. What should we ask? Ask those things that are aligned to his will, that are good, that are praiseworthy. The 19th century missionary William Carey said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Let us be ready to do that, expecting from him, but also ready to be the answer to our own and others' prayers. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you that you... You have the power and the authority to answer all our prayers. You have the authority over all things in the world. Not only do you have the power and the authority, Lord, but you, you are a loving God who wills to see the best for us. You long, first and foremost, for us to have that true and life-giving relationship with you. Help us to see our situations as you do. But you're also a God who cares for our day-to-day and our menial needs. And it's you alone that provides for them. And help us to persistently pray for those things as well. And we thank you that in all things we have you alongside us. And help us daily to see that, Lord, that... As we look to you, Lord, we might reflect your light to those around us, that we might bring your love to those that we have contact with, that we, we would be your love and your light in the world. I ask all these things in your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, James, for that deeply challenging talk. Um, Lots to think and reflect on. Why don't we do that now as we sing Amazing Grace together? Let's stand and sing.